This is the podcast where we talk with athletes, entrepreneurs, and people who have overcome amazing feats, and we discuss the mind and what it takes to live life as a champion. Nothing, 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 nothing you could do. Straight up. There's nothing you could do. know the boy says. There's nothing I don't know why you want to play with it. There's nothing you could do. We are back. The Savage Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Chad George. And as always, La Jefa. What's up? What's going on? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. I'm really excited for today's show. Yeah. Yeah. Too. Have a very, uh, very, very great guest today. Longtime friend of mine. Uh, he is a incredible human being who has a, a, an unbelievable story that when we get into this, I, I truly believe that not only his story, but what he is doing is going to help so many people uh, around the world. Um, he's an entrepreneur, a professional fighter, a multiple business owner. He's an author. He served in the Swedish Special Forces, and he is the founder of Liam's Life Foundation, my good friend, Marcus Kowal. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, stressed, having an another baby coming in three days, and uh, wow. trying to have everything aligned before that, so I can take a couple of weeks off and, and be there, and, uh, and at the same time... Uh, a bill introduced that we'll speak about later on. I'm sure today. So, but I'm I'm good. You know, it's, I'd rather have too much to do than not enough. That's that's the plan, right? I mean, <laughs> we we'd only be so fortunate. Yes, absolutely. Know? I get to do things. That's really know? awesome. You're having you're having another uh, another kid along the way. I know you got you got one with us. Who do we have today? Nico is with us here today. Nico is uh, watching uh, Teletub is here. Well, we do this. Nico had to be with me today so mommy can get some work done and. Uh, Hopefully he will uh, be calm while we do this. <laughs> so that's that's the hope at least. Well, I think he will because I was watching Teletubbies uh, this morning and it kept me calm. When they I kept <laughs> that's concerning. So maybe we should switch <laughs> to Sesame Street instead. <laughs> Anyways, um, so for people that don't know you, yeah, Marcus, please give them a little background in your history of who you are. Uh, maybe not diving too much in what we're going to talk about. Just a little bit of your background. Um, I'm from Sweden originally. Uh, I lived in England for many years. That's why I might not sound that Swedish. Um, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm very proud being from Sweden for, for many reasons. I think it's a great country. Um, and uh, I moved around a lot. Uh, England, like I said, Germany, France, Mexico. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, always, I've always loved uh, meeting people, f experiencing different cultures, and came to the United States about 15 years ago and was supposed to be here for two years and got stuck in Hotel California and been here ever since. <laughs> and um, you and I have been training partners. I mean, for probably close to a decade now. More, more, more than a decade. Really? You think? You think? It's been oh, a hundred percent. Two thousand six, two thousand seven. Oh my God! Yes. So that just made me feel even older. So I really, yes. I really appreciate that. You're Thank you. Yeah, you're four years older than me. So definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Um, now I know that when we started training, you know the whole sport of MMA is completely different now. Yes. Um, both of us have gone through crazy uh, journeys mm -hmm. through through this whole uh, tenure of knowing each other, from fighting to life experiences, now with children. Yes. Um, uh, uh, crazy story patterns, and I mean, I guess that's the journey of life. Yes. That we we go through, and it's pretty amazing when you can share experiences with people and, and be a part of their growth they're up they're they're rising they're they're falling uh they're recovering yeah. and it, it's I, I i would like to think that 
we have been able to see each other's entire journey kind of unfold. Absolutely. And and it's amazing, you know, that's why oh bless you. That's why I'm so uh, I'm so grateful for martial arts, you know. It's you meet some of the best people that you can meet through martial arts. You get um a few different um you need to uh, and you need um you you get the opportunity to to be in each other's lives, you know, because of martial arts, but you know, it's so much more than just the the, the sport, it's the 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 social side of it, getting to know people, you know, making some of the best friends you'll ever make through martial arts, the training, the injuries, like you said, in the in the career the, uh, of the sport, you know, the ups and the downs, and um, but more importantly, just seeing how people grow as human beings from it, you know, the 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 the, the fighting part is just the tip of the iceberg of martial arts, you know, it's it's it really truly is a, a lifestyle, and and it's great to see, you know, you see some people that come and go. Um, some people that don't have time for it, but they still remain your friends. And then you see the people that really not just make it their career, but their lives. And I really like what you said about, you know, how martial arts becomes the way you really approach life. Yeah. And fighting teaches you so much more about yourself. But what's interesting about the fact that you brought that up is that we use this terminology of fighting. You know, this is one of the things we, we use all the time on the show, and you are, I think, a perfect advocate of where we're going with this, is that we talk about fighting, we talk about fighting, we talk about fighting. And so many times we relate this to actually people in the cage or people in the street or whatever the, whatever the case may be. Yeah. We forget that fighting ends up becoming much more than just the, the term of fighting as far as what the, the typical connotation is. We forget that fighting ends up in many more cases be more about what you are fighting for the the meaning behind it the why behind it and it's not until things happen in your life that usually that why presents itself yeah you know a lot of times that we think we're fighting for whatever reasons and that becomes ego driven yeah. You know, a lot of fighters are fighting for ego. A lot of people do things that are completely ego driven until that why is presented. The ego completely dissolves and the why becomes the complete driving force of everything in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, it's funny because fighting and, and as you know, you know, I came from a stand up background, boxing, kickboxing and jiu-jitsu didn't exist and mma wasn't big when i started and i got into it pretty late and at first i didn't like jiu-jitsu and because i didn't know it and i kept getting uh submitted when i was doing it but then i fell in love with jiu-jitsu as well and 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 i love the combat side of sport you know i just love combat but then i got introduced to krav maga as well i'm a second degree black belt in krav maga and a lot of times i get asked like why why do i do both why do i do both mma and Krav Maga, because well, they serve different purposes. One, you know, it's a sport with entertainment value, right? Where um, people buy tickets, and you, like you said, you get paid to do it. The other thing is, is, is the other well, Krav Maga is for street self-defense. So people don't have time to train five, six, seven, eight, fifteen hours a week, and just want to learn a little bit of, of self-defense. So um, I became really passionate about helping people be able to defend themselves, whether it be anti-bullying for kids or domestic violence victims or, you know, uh, rape victims and just people that couldn't stand up for themselves in a way. And, and, and that truly has developed into to a passion 
now since I just retired this past summer and and really focus on on bringing martial arts to 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 people, not just to to fighters. That's awesome. Um, now helping people is always great, you know. When we're we have we've got this mission to help people. I'm yes. I'm, I'm I'm the same way, yes you know. Sir. Like uh, every day I wake up, I'm like, okay, what am I doing today that is going to benefit the the cause of what we're doing this? But when things happen to us it's a little bit different because no, now it's like, okay, when something happens to me, I, I, I'm looking for answers as well. Yeah. And it's tough because when the people that are looking to you for answers, it's tough for you to go, hey, I need some help with this mm -hmm. because they're looking at you but like, wait, wait a minute, you're the one that's supposed to be helping me. Yeah. And when something extreme happens to us, something that, that can be life-changing happens to us, we have to really reevaluate everything in our own kind of psyche and figure out, okay, where do I go from this? And I'm bringing this up because you and I know where I'm going and the people that, that know you, there were things that happened with you that, that I know changed your why completely. Yeah. And um, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, on the 3rd of September, 2016, I I lost my my 15 month son to a drunk driver and uh, um, you know I, I I thought even as a fighter I thought my pain threshold was pretty high I you know I I've I've always considered myself being able to take more punishment than even the average fighter and thought my pain threshold I knew how to take pain and on the 3rd of September I really found out what pain is you know what what. I don't think there is a worse pain to humanity than, than losing a child. Um, it's not natural. It's not supposed to happen. And physical pain doesn't compare to, to emotional pain. And, you know, um, I've always been a very evenly tempered person as far as I've never had uh, depression. I never had mood swings. You know, I've always been, as you know, uh, a positive person. And, and I've never had to deal. I've had clients I work with that, you know, they've, they've had difficulties dealing with um, you finding their motivation and, and drive and, and, uh, and depression and so on. And I could always sympathize, but I could never empathize because I couldn't relate to it. And, um, you know, to, to lose a child, and especially in such a traumatic way that we did, you know, we lost our son to a drunk driver. Um, and the whole roller coaster of first thinking he was going to make it, you know, and to finding out that he was brain dead which is not the same thing as being in a coma uh, I've I've learned it's been just over two years and I've learned a lot in those two years and one of the first things I learned was that you can be declared dead not just through your heart but through your brain as well and you know it, I, I didn't know that and and in order to do so doctors have to run a bunch of tests then they have to wait 12 hours then two doctors have to be present in order to to declare someone dead and you know the last thing that dies with a human is, is hope and and even though i knew i knew while i was still in there that he wasn't there anymore but to have to to have to experience wait for those 12 hours to wait for the doctors to watch them go through the tests and then have you know the doctors finally say he's not he's not there he's not going to make it and then having to make the decision to donate our son's organs um, so that other people could live because of him uh, you know, it, it's it's even for myself at times looking back at it, I I, I it, it's such torture. It's pain that I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. I, it really is. 
it's something that you no human should have to experience. Unfortunately, chil- children are lost every single day because of diseases and, and sicknesses and so on. Um, but in our case, when it came to drunk driving, this was so preventable, so easily preventable. And, you know, from being a fighter my, my whole life and, and, you know, from working a lot with law enforcement, being in the military, I always felt, and uh, just like, like yourself, uh, you know that you can protect yourself and that you can protect your loved ones and if someone would have told me that a 72 year old woman was going to take my son's life i would have laughed but that's exactly what happened at 3 30 in the afternoon and then the next learning experience that i had you know having to walk out of that hospital walk away from what you you've you've w- your program as a human being to never walk away from to always protect and having to walk out of that hospital and then starting you know the grief work of of being able to find your way back to happiness, um, to be able to to enjoy life again. You know, it's that's what I mean. When 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 you have physical pain, say you break a leg, you know, you break a leg, you know that the worst part of the pain <coughs> is in the beginning of of when you've broken it, and you can take pain medication for that, and then with time it will get better. When it comes to emotional pain, it's like being inside of a laundry machine of just emotions, of raw emotions, and you know, it doesn't, you know, it's a cliche thing to say, but time heal or wounds. But when it comes to emotional pain, you know, y- one day you feel like you get better. The next day you feel like you're back to square one again. And you have seven stages of grief or five, depending on which school of theory you go through. But, you know, and part of it is depression. I've never had depression in my life, having to deal with it, feeling like, you know, your life had no purpose anymore because what is more important than life in itself is gone. Uh, anger, you know, uh, hopelessness, uh, finding my drive back, and 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 as as a school owner, you know, to, uh, we own a few gyms, and not being able to be present, and not just me, my wife, we work, we do this together, to not be present in your own business, you know that it's it's suicide, and it took me a good year and a half to really, I was physically present, but to find that drive and motivation that I had for martial art, arts to come back that 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 took a very very long time just because the purpose of life seemed like it's gone and you talked about uh having your why i had my why i knew what i wanted to live you know i enjoyed uh teaching martial arts and help people better themselves and empowering just like or people that do this for the right reasons like yourself you know that's that's why we do what we do so to be able to say that you have your why and you're so passionate uh about it and all of a sudden, it feels like it doesn't matter anymore. And all of a sudden, a new why arose, like you said. And, and now I've found a way of, of balancing the two. I feel like they, in the end of the day, they go hand in hand. Because in martial arts, what we teach is, you know, how to, how to better yourself, how to empower yourself, how to be mentally stronger, but also how to, to stand up for what's right. You know, and and that's what it really comes down to when it comes to drunk driving. And you know, I'm from 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 Sweden, where we have basically zero tolerance. We have 0.02 as the legal blood alcohol content. And it's not just that the legal side of it is 0.02. It's just socially so unacceptable to drink and drive. It's just something that you don't do. And I noticed it when I moved over here. You know, to see people stagger out of bars and nightclubs and and get behind the wheel. And we all have friends here that you know 
have driven when they're drunk and you know it's having a DUI there's a lot of people that have DUIs and there's nothing shameful about it it's like oh it's an inconvenience to them or oh, I have to pay all this money or I'm not allowed to drive for X amount of time well it's not about you you know it's it's about the people around you that you can affect by drinking and driving and just like with texting and driving which is a huge problem as well um, you know it's one thing to be ignorant you know when, when we d- I'm sure we all knew that it wasn't a great thing to do, but until it became a law and we started seeing statistics that wait, you know, we really shouldn't do this because it it, it causes it causes deaths, right? So, but but with drunk driving, it's so people are so I- uneducated when it comes to dr- comes to drunk driving in this country. Really know what it means? Like, do you know what the blood alcohol content is in the US? Uh, a lot of high schools and to high school kids and. Uh, that's usually my first question. My follow-up question to that is, how many drinks get you, what, point or two? If it's beer or if it's alcohol or... Yeah, so if you s- people don't realize, for an average male of 170 pounds, that's four to five you drank, your metabolism and so on, but that's the average, right? A four to five of a jumbo jet crashing every single week throughout the year, and if that was the case, we would do s- statistics that I've obviously learned over the past two years, and... Uh, I was ignorant to myself. I didn't know I said it in the hospital, but I said it in the police car on the way to the hospital. Uh, when I said I it was everywhere, but um, it was, and I still don't really know why, because unfortunately children die every single day and people are killed by drunk drivers every single day. But for some reason, um, this became news. And maybe it's because of the martial art world. So many people in the MMA world that reached out and, and commented on it, you know, the UFC made a comment on it. Verdum dedicated his fight that night against Travis Brown um, to um, to Liam and uh, Dominic Clark from here for the week after, you know, and, and that picture still gives me chills when I see when he's sitting on top of the cage uh, holding up an L for Liam that night, you know, Jaya Papazian for dedicated his fight to to Liam and, and, and you know, it's just it meant so much to see the support that, that we had and um and and to know that, that people were b- were behind us. And and the the thing is, you know, I, I, I wrote a book uh, called Life is a Moment and uh, the reason I named it that is because it spells out Liam, Life is a Moment and, and uh, I wrote 90,000 words in three months but at the time I didn't know it was going to become a book um, I wrote it because it was my way of, of dealing uh, my way of coping it was an outlet for me um, but I, I met a lot of parents and especially a lot of fathers that lost children and, and often years down the line they're still angry and they're still bitter and they turn to drugs and alcohol very often and, and, and it's not something that I condone but I understand it because you become so desperate to find ways of numbing that pain that, that uh, you, you, you'll do anything. Um, and again, back to martial arts, you know, martial arts really helped me because when I was angry, I could punch things and uh, I could kick things and I, I would train, uh, you know, to, to add taste of blood in my mouth, just physically exhausting my body uh, and it helped me. And even if, even if it didn't feel like it helped an hour later, it was one hour where I didn't think about it and, and that helped. And, uh, and then the writing. So I decided to turn it into a book just because I figured, you know, the stigma of being a fighter, that people think you're tough and, and, and that you, you know, you're, you're a macho person. If I can 
openly speak about emotions, if I can openly speak about the thoughts that went through my head and, and the things that I had to experience, then hopefully that can help someone else. That, but you know, because again, not just parents that lose children, but we as human beings will all at some point experience loss. Simple as that. You know, if you live a, 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 a long life, you will lose someone, whether it's a parent, a sibling, a friend, even a pet. You know, some people experience grief losing a job. So if I can experience the, the, the absolute worst version of pain and the rawest, then hopefully me talking about it openly can help someone else find your way back to happiness. And again, happiness, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Because, and, and, and I just spoke at an event not long ago, and I, and I said, I've come out on the other side. How can I say that? Because, because I have found my way back to happiness. I can sit here in front of you today and say, I'm happy. I live with a scar on my heart that will always be there, but I'm happy. I lead a happy life. I don't live with, with you know, toxic energy or emotions, whatever you want to call it, because a lot of times people get stuck there. And especially as men, you know, we don't learn how to deal with grief. No one does. But especially, you know, there's a lot of movements that are great and a lot of things that are, 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 are great for, 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 for women. But it's very little for men when, it's com when, when it comes to emotions. We're not taught how to deal with emotions because very often, you know, dealing with emotions as a man is looked upon something that's weak and that crying is weak or feeling something is weak. And that's the stupidest thing ever. You know, as, as humans, uh, if we don't feel something, there's, there's a name for that. It's called a sociopath. And, and, and if you're a sociopath, that's, that's unfortunate. But if you're not, then you will feel things. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's like, you know, a, a fighter who says, oh, you know, I don't feel anything before going into the cage. You're a liar. Of course you do. You're, you're scared. You have, you have emotions running uh, through your body. The difference is you know how to channel it into something positive, something productive rather than destructive. And unfortunately, when it comes to grief, it's the same thing. You know, you will have these feelings of anger, bitterness, hopelessness but and it's okay to experience it but how do you get through it you know i looked at it as and you can see on my my arm i had this tattoo in, in the background it says liam but it says every jo a journey of a, th a thousand miles starts with a single step and that's how i looked at it you know we were put on this road that we hadn't chosen to to take and you just got to keep your eyes forward you just got to keep walking and you're going to slip and you're going to fall but you can't stop because you know you can't go back in time and you can't stand still in time. So all you can do is move forward. And if you don't, it becomes toxic. You know, all the feelings that you can feel. Why did this happen to me? Life isn't fair. Um, you know, why Why did, if you, if you believe in, in a higher spirit or God, you know, why did God do this to me? Why am I punished? And it's very easy to think that way. But I don't believe that. I don't believe that anything happens to anyone for any specific reason. It's just life. Life happens. And then it's up to you to take whatever lemons you've been handed and try to make something that resembles lemonade. You know, that's as simple as, as it is. And, and again, you know, two years later, I can, and like I said, I can tell you I'm, I'm happy. And I, I still have, I found my why with the martial arts again, but I now have a second why. And that's to make sure that other parents don't have to go through what we've gone through um, and to make sure that my son, in, in 2016, 10,194 lives were lost. Sorry, 64. 10,164 lives. My son was one of those. 
but I want to make sure my son didn't become just statistics. That because of my son, there was change. There was difference. There was a difference. And and and, you know, we've we've started that work. We started that work when we were still in the hospital. But again, about learning. All of a sudden, I got. You know, most people decide to open a nonprofit because they want to make a difference in, in in a certain area. We got thrown into a nonprofit again. It was. It became world news, and you know, people donated, and we felt this money isn't for us. This is for Liam. What can we do with that? So that's when we decided to to start the nonprofit. But I don't have any. I've been on a couple of advisory boards for nonprofits, but I never ran a nonprofit, and I didn't. We decided, you know, how do we make a difference? Well, through education, educating the next generation of high school kids. You know, last year I spoke to over five thousand high school kids. This year, I'm, I'm, uh, it looks like I'm going to speak to some 10,000 high school kids. But then the question is, how do you make the most amount of change the fastest? And I didn't know at the time that the legal blood alcohol content was 0.08. But I know that when I found out, Sweden at one point was a 0.08 as well. And then we lowered it to 0.05. And then we lowered it to 0.02. And surprise, surprise, the amount of deaths went down. In my opinion, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize if you have less alcohol in your system, your reaction time is better, your decision-making is better, your, your coordination, everything, right? We all know that. We've all been drunk, and we know what it's like to be drunk. Um, and so I thought, well, this would be an easy change. We already have the statistics because there's very few laws in this country, in this world, where you can say, if we make this change, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. Right, because we can make a change and hope that it's going to be the way we expected it to be, but they sometimes there are ripple effects in other areas. When it comes to drunk driving, you have the science behind it because there's been plenty of studies done on the human brain what ethanol, which is alcohol, does to you at different levels. Right, we know that that's a fact. We also have the statistics from drunk driving or the DU uh, the the BAC, the blood alcohol content being lowered from over 100 countries that have been at 0.08 and lowered it. And surprise, surprise, the amount of deaths go down. So we already know because, uh, you know, there's certain rules or laws and, 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 and regulations that there's a counter-argument to, right? And, and, and But when it comes to drunk driving, you don't have a counter-argument to why you should be allowed to get behind the wheel when you've been drinking. Because driving isn't a right. Driving is a privilege. And again, we know what alcohol does to the body, so we know how um, how it will affect us. So on, on with Liam's Life Foundation that we started, we decided that that was going to be our goal. We're going to lower the blood alcohol content from 0.08 to 0.05. And someone asked me, why, why wouldn't you want 0.02 like in Sweden? Of course I do. We're going to get there, but we're going to start somewhere. And uh, once we get it to 0.05, a few years from now, we will have statistics from the U.S. as well, right? Where we can say, this is where we were. This is where we're at today. Let's lower it again. But, you know, there's a lot of, 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 of laws or debates going on, like gun violence in this country, for example, which is a huge debate. And, um, you know, I was in the military and I work with law enforcement and, um, is is it a problem in this country? Of course it is. And I'm not against people owning guns. So I want to make that sure before, because I don't want to get into that, because then you have people going, don't take my guns. And I didn't I didn't say that. And yeah, 
but there's a counter argument to it. The Second Amendment and, and, and you know, a lot of things is part of the American culture. And uh, I'm not saying one way is right or one way is wrong, but I'm just saying there's a counter argument. You have no counter argument to why you should be allowed to get behind the wheel when you've been drinking. And you can also say, you know, you look at countries like Australia that ban guns, right? And you see a difference. And a lot of times you hear the argument, well, that's not America. It's different in America. Well, America, humans are humans and alcohol is alcohol. And it has the same effect on you whether you are um, black, white, um, if you're Jewish or Christian or Muslim, or if you're a Democrat or Republican. And the problem that we have with, with drunk driving is a lot of crimes, in order to commit a certain type of a crime, like if you're a drug dealer, if you're a gangbanger, that's a certain group of society that decide to take that route. But when it comes to drunk driving, you have all walks of life. You have doctors, you have lawyers, you have judges, you even have law enforcement officers. It wasn't that long ago uh, here in California when law enforcement officer killed the whole family driving drunk. So a lot of times it's not looked upon as a crime, yet it kills more children in this country than guns. And again, it's something that's so easily avoided. We can make that difference. We can make that change. So I thought I was very naive saying, all right, well, this is going to be an easy change. We have the statistics. We have the facts. <coughs> How do we change it? Well, I don't know how to change the law in this country. I wouldn't know how to do it in my own home country where I'm from originally. So I was naive enough to say, all right, we're going to do this on the federal level. And then I realized there's opposition that's trying to fight what we do. Specifically, a group called the American Beverage Institute and a man named Rick Berman, who was dubbed Dr. Evil on 60 Minutes when he was on there. His own son disowned him a few years ago, saying, my father is a demon. And if you ever saw the movie, Thank You for Smoking, yeah, about how secondhand smoke isn't bad for you and so on. Uh, that's the real-life version of him. So Utah was the first state to lower it to 0 0.05. We were there when it happened uh, in December of, of 2018. And they were heavily opposed by the ABI and Rick Berman. And... And I thought, who would oppose this? We know that it's going to make a difference. But I didn't know about lobbying at the time. I didn't know about special interest groups. That, or that It comes down to one thing and one thing only, and that's profit. It comes down to money. And they are very good at what they do, at skewing facts. Not, not, false, not fake news, <laughs> but... And they can't straight up lie, but they're very good at, at picking their own studies or skewing their own studies. And if they have a lot more money than we do. So their version of the truth becomes the truth very often. Um, and this bill that we just had introduced here in California last Friday is to lower the BAC from 0 0.08 to 0 0.05. And uh, Assemblywoman Autumn Burke, uh, Assemblyman uh, Heath Flora, and Senator Jerry Hill sponsored this bill. It was It's taken us two years just to get the bill introduced, to find someone that would actually take the bill and sponsor the bill. And again, when it comes to politics, I didn't know this. Now it sits at the Public Safety Committee in Sacramento, where you're from, um, and it has to get voted on by the Public Safety Committee. If it gets through committee, it gets into the House of Assembly. Then it's going to get voted through the House of Assembly. Then it goes to the Senate. Then it's going to get voted through in the Senate. Then the governor has to sign off on it. So if you ever wonder why certain laws or legislations aren't, you know, that you would think is very common sense, take so long, is and, and as, as us, we're the public. This is a free democratic country. 
but at times it might not feel like it because if it is, then it should be easy to make the right changes, right? But because of special interest groups, um, they're very good at making sure that bills don't get passed. Even if they get introduced, they don't get passed. So we have 30 days now to fight this fight, to educate people. And I'm met with, with this by the opposition a lot of times and f- quite frankly, ignorance on a daily basis. People were saying like, I, I just created a list actually, I'm gonna bring this um, over the next 30 days, I'm gonna sh- film very short videos to educate people. But you know, someone wrote, and they write to me, I'm like, I'm the wrong person to write to because obviously I'm, I'm, I have very strong emotions when it comes to drunk, drunk driving. But someone's saying, you know, oh, you, you, this just gives the police more power to pull you over. N- no, it doesn't. It gives you the same amount of power because when the police officer pulls you over, he doesn't know where your BSE is at. He pulls you over for a reason, either because you're swerving or you're driving erratic- erratically, and that's why he pulls you over. Not until you do the blood test will they actually know where you're at. And and this is the best one. It's like, oh, it's just another way for the state to, to make some extra money, you know, that DUI money. Again, it costs the country $120 billion. Taxpayers, $120 billion. When you lose someone to drunk driving, you have victim impact where you get money from the state. We had to see through a manslaughter case that took a year. That's very expensive. And that's just the death. Someone is injured in this country every 90th second paraplegics, people that end up with brain trauma, brain damage, guess what that costs the society? A lot more expensive than that DUI that someone gets because they were drinking and driving, which they rightfully should have. And the most frustrating argument to me is, well, you should, al- you should be allowed to have a drink or two with your dinner uh, and, and drive. And, and that's what the ABI play on a lot, saying, oh, you know, you, you're trying to criminalize social drinking. We're not at all. Drink as much as you want. But don't get behind the wheel when you have because it's proven that it takes lives. So, and in my opinion, if you can afford a drink at a bar, you can afford an Uber or a Lyft. You know, you have no excuse in today's society why you should be allowed to get behind the wheel. So we're not, s- we're not against drinking. I can drink. I have friends to drink. It's nothing, nothing to do with alcohol. And this is why I said I was actually even trying to get the alcohol industry to support what we do. Because if you watch the commercials, they all end with drink responsibly. But they won't as of today. And, and I, I again, I have nothing against the alcohol industry. But if they try to oppose us, then then we're going to fight them. And I know we're going to pass because we're fighting for the right thing, both based on, on, on facts, but also because they're fighting for profits and, and, you know, I'm fighting for my son's legacy. And that, that it, it's a different type of drive. It's a different type of fuel. and uh, But it can definitely be frustrating at times because... Again, you know, for, for us, it's too late. You know, I already lost my son. I'm doing this so that other people won't have to lose their children. And so when I hear these, you know, ideas, and it's been a lot in the news of, uh, over the last couple of days about um, this bill being introduced and, and, and people that are trying to make up reasons to why it's being introduced. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're doing this. We came up with this bill. We and we were lucky to find the assembly man and the assembly woman and the senator that sponsored it. But this was from us. I have no financial gain from this. I have no hidden agenda behind it. All I have is uh, something that's been proven to save lives. It was saves over, so for each 0.01 of BAC from 0.08 to 0.05, was saved some 800 lives a year across the US. That's somewhere between 1,700 to 2,400 lives a year that will be saved because of this. 
so why would we not do it and um yeah that's my fight yeah um i had a lot of questions that <laughs> got answered through that that i'm pretty <laughs> sure a lot of people were going to have through that process and um to see the way you've turned such a horrific thing into a light not only for yourself but for those that have had things happen to them it is is not only been amazing to hear right now but to amazing for me to see through this whole process you know i um i spent some time with you when when all this stuff happened and you were at the hospital i remember you and pedro came late at night was it when we already knew it was what we were no, still waiting we were still waiting and the thing for me is i remember looking at pedro and those people i was like how was marcus staying together so well with this and i realized that it was because you knew you couldn't break for the people that were around you your family uh, michelle and i knew at some point that i was like marcus is gonna have to deal with this and I, for me, because I, like, I have never experienced something like this. So seeing that, but knowing that there was going to be the other side of it that was going to happen. I'm, I'm getting, like, emotional right now just talking it's okay. about it. It's okay. I'm going back to that time when, when, when this first happened. And I know this is something that you probably have had to deal with on an ongoing basis. And to see the strength and the courage that you've developed over this 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 time and and the movement that you've created and the support that you've gotten from so many different communities and so many different people i'm sure has made this fight now become much much bigger than anything that anybody could have ever expected yeah and for people to even oppose this <laughs> is absolutely insanity yeah because of how easy it is to access public transportation yeah. it comes down to this ego drive that we talked about earlier is like get off your fucking ego yeah and just say yes it's okay i do need help to drive yeah and that's what people think it, it's like a it, it's it's a lack of power that you have by saying yes i do need help <laughs> you know like okay nobody's gonna say anything about you because you you need to get a ride. Like, in fact, it'll be the it'd be the adverse when people tell me that they're gonna drive. I'm like, I will fucking call this for you. Yeah. Like, it it is not that hard. No. And the problem is when you've been drinking. Like, we've all had that friend, and you're like, Are you sure you're right to drive? And the answer is always the same. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Because that's what happens when you drink. That's why people drink. They feel good. They feel like the Superman or Superwoman, and 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 and, and, and you think you're okay. But that's the problem. That's why you should make, you know, think before you drink, you know, have a plan before you go out. And this is the best part or the worst part or the most frustrating part of the whole fight. We don't have to have this fight. Germany, Ireland, Scotland have all lowered the blood alcohol content from 0.08 to 0.04, 0 0.05. France, Italy as well, wine countries, right? The amount of sales when it came to, li to, to liquor didn't go down. In fact, it went up. Why? Because when people are not drinking or driving, they're willing to stay out longer and drink more. This fight doesn't need to be taken. In Sweden, we drink a lot more than Americans and all the countries I just mentioned as well, per capita. 
Yeah, the amount of deaths in Sweden is the third per capita to the U.S. U.S. has more deaths because of drunk driving than any other free democratic country in the world per capita. And, and like you said, it's very, very frustrating for me to, when I have these, sh- quite frankly, shitty, I, I don't know if it's okay to swear on yeah, here, but uh, counter arguments to, like you said, driven by ego i should have the right to i should have you have the right to do what you want as long as it doesn't affect other innocent people and as we know it does so you know at times i i you know especially when people talk about it and give me this you know it makes it gets this you just feel this rage inside of you and you want to shake people and go are you stupid but i also have learned like what like you said about ego if i want to change if i want to actually educate people if i response with if my, my if i respond with anger or 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 violence or whatever it is the natural def- defense for someone is to counter with 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 anger if i want them to actually hear me i have to speak calmly if i want them to understand and if i want to educate them i have to swallow that take a deep breath and say no what you're saying isn't right let me give you some facts. Let me give you some actual statistics. Look at this. And for most people, uh, we, we have a documentary that's coming out this year that's really, really well done. I'm, I'm so lucky to have found these guys. It's called Winters Rock Entertainment, and they're an award-winning team. And Rocky, who's one of the uh, directors, who is the director, one of the two uh, owners of the company, he said, I, I wasn't aware how bad drunk driving is in this country. I'm American. I had no idea. And they've become as involved in this fight as we, they've been embedded with us for over two years. They were there when we were still in court, going through the manslaughter case against this woman when she was sentenced to jail. They were there when little Nico, who's lying here on the floor <laughs> watching Teletubbies, was born. They were in the hospital with us. They've been with us every step of this of this journey. And you know, at times, someone asked me not long ago, "Isn't it difficult to have cameras around you all the time?" It sucks. It sucks when you're going through some of the most difficult moments in your life and you have a camera in your face and you have a microphone on. But at the same time, if I wanted to, if me, Michelle, my wife wanted to to make a difference, you want to show people what drunk driving actually does, we have to be okay with the cameras being there to show even the darkest of moments. And that's the only way of making it true true story and 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 um they're just about to wrap it up um the last thing now was the bill being introduced there's a couple of little more things happening but the reason why it became i had a retirement fight that you were at <laughs> last year and and that was supposed to be the end of the documentary at first i thought when nico was born was going to be the end of the documentary just to show that you know you c- adversity and you can find your way back but then we started you know finding out about the opposition, the people that are opposing us. We had to go to DC. We met with these watch groups and we found out uh, because of lobbying in this country. And you know, I, we were just talking about it the other day. If I would like, the ABI is a non-profit. And I'm like, why is a non-profit? When I heard of them in the, f- in the first place, if they weren't anonymous, if, if, they, if they knew what they were doing wasn't wrong, they wouldn't have to be anonymous. So 1,500 people uh, a year. Drunk driving still kills over 10,000. It's the biggest problem. It's the problem. Drugs is also a problem. But just to point at a different problem doesn't solve the original problem. Uh, but unfortunately, it works because they have a lot of money and they use scare tactics. You know, don't take my alcohol away from me. We're not trying to take your alcohol away from you. We're saying that you just don't get behind the wheel. So then we found out that he has nonprofits saying secondhand smoke doesn't kill. Uh, 
corn syrup isn't bad for you, trans fats aren't bad for you. He had a smear campaign against the humane society. Tells you the type of a level of a human being that is. And, uh, you know, you couldn't make this up, you know. It's like out of a movie. I, d- I thought that bad guys, those type of bad guys only existed in movies. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a long ride, both emotionally and uh, and and you know as far as learning about politics learning about the l- the legal system having to go through a manslaughter case you know to be in 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 court with this woman who n- hadn't spent a day in jail until she was sentenced because sh- she paid bail and like that's something that we don't have where I'm from what is this monopoly you can just pay bail and and even though you you were actually arrested for manslaughter yeah, you, you you walk free for another year. In fact, the first day we were in court, she still hadn't had her driver's license taken away from her from from AAA because she hadn't had her hearing with the AAA yet. You know, and and to watch her walk into court, she hired some rock star DUI lawyer. Not once did she reach out to us. Not once did she um, apologize. Not once did she show any remorse. And I can tell you, you know the thoughts that ran through my head at times when I was in that courtroom were not very nice. You know, it's, uh, it's, you look at her, a 72 year old woman that weighs 105 pounds and you think that's someone's grandma, you know? And then the other part of you looks around the room and sees the two officers stationed in different places and you go, I can get to her before they get to me. I know I can take her life before before they will get to me but that would never happen because one I wanted to be sentenced by the court of law and I I I don't want to dishonor my son by doing something putting myself in jail won't help his cause and very often when when someone loses um, when someone loses someone not one life is lost but very often two or three lives are lost because the parents never find a way back to life again, and very common that that parents very sorry very common that that parents uh, uh, separate after losing a child. Up to seventy percent of of parents separate because, and you know, me and Michelle have grown stronger, but a lot of our friends and family were concerned that we were going to separate as well. Um, what helped us was communication, because grief is very something very subjective. Everyone grieve differently, but it's important to respect each other's ways of grieving. We're very different, you know. She does yoga, she dances, she writes poetry, she paints. My way of dealing was doing. I would go, go, go. I did the hundred kick challenge that you did as well, that went worldwide. Um, I uh, uh, we had the nonprofit. We were working. We were doing. You know, I was just going, going. I was writing every day to write the book, and and that was my way of dealing. Um, and sometimes, you know, hers, her, her healing process was a lot slower than mine. And at times, I pulled her with me, but mine was going too fast. I was going 120 miles an hour, at reckless at times, and she would pull me back. So we together, we, we, we balanced each other out really, really well. And man, you know, when we were still in the hospital, I thought, that's it. You know, Michelle is very intelligent and, and very rational human being. But I thought, this is it. She, she'll never be okay again. She'll end up in a mental hospital. And it took her a long time. And she dealt with a lot of, of um, she dealt with a lot of, of survivor's guilt. It's very, very common. Not rational, 
but very common. Her sister, who was walking her son, um, who was 15 at the time, she's 17 now, uh, she lives today with a lot of PTSD, a lot of survivor's guilt. You know, she said some horrible things afterwards, you know, saying, I wish it was me instead. You know, I took your son. I, 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 because of me, you don't have your son. We're lucky that there's there was footage because right away you think, did she do everything that she could have done? And, uh, and that's natural. But we're lucky that there was footage. There was a security camera that caught everything. I haven't seen it. I never want to see it. But it shows her doing everything right. She presses the button. Um, there's three lanes on, on that road. She A car approaches. She, sw- she pulls the stroller back. It was at a pedestrian crossing that's happened. She waits for the lights to turn. And then she starts walking. The first car stopped. The second car stopped. And then the third lane is where this drunk woman was driving who hits both of them. My my niece uh, was left unconscious as well, broken leg. Uh, but those are physical injuries that they've healed at this point. But the, the emotional is where she's still, still till today, struggling at times. And uh, it took her forever to be able to cross the road again. To, to hold Nico was difficult for her um, because she was scared that she would do something wrong. And uh, this woman, apparently, according to witnesses, stopped for a good 20 to 30 seconds. And she must have seen that there were two unconscious bodies lying in the middle of the road, that of a baby and uh, of a young girl, and then decided to drive off. And and that, I should have known right there and then that what type of a human she was. But I, I said it, had she stood up the first day in court and said, I'm so sorry for what I did, I would have at some point been able to forgive her and give her a hug. But because she never showed any remorse and all she, con- she was concerned about was saving her own skin, I'm glad she's in jail, and I and I hope she she rots in there. But um, you know, a lot of times people say you have to forgive in order to be able to to go on in life, and I think the word forgiveness is also subjective. It means different things. I will not forgive her for what she did, but I don't feel like I have to because I don't spend time thinking about her. My energy uh, is not my energy is not consumed by her. I very rarely think about her. I don't care about her. Um, I'm glad she's off the road so she can't hurt someone else. But except from that, I, and I also know that when she woke up that morning, her her intentions were not to take my son's life. It's not an accident. A lot of times people say it was an accident. It's not an accident. You don't you, you trip and you fall by accident. You don't drink alcohol and, and sit down behind the wheel by accident. But had her intentions been to take my son's life, my mission in life would be different. Uh, but because it wasn't, you know, again, like the toxic anger and bitterness, that's, I don't have it. You know, it's not, in my, it's not in my heart, it's not in me. I'm focusing on the positive and, and how I can make sure that what was the worst pain I've ever experienced and hope it will be the worst experience I've ever experienced, uh, worst pain I've ever experienced uh, turned into something positive. I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are going to have questions and wanting to know how how can they get behind this fight? How can people get involved and how can people help um, you? How can they help this cause and how can they get behind this? So that's a really good question. When it comes to uh, it's okay, Nico, just tell it has disappeared. Um, when um, the volume, um, so. So when um, uh, I just turned it down, just uh, now. Sorry, 
again, my, my son Nico is, is here. And by the way, his name, Nico, we, we named him Nico. The name Liam, which was my firstborn's name, uh, means the people's protector. And, you know, that's not what we had in plan for him when he was born. Um, and uh, I have tattooed on my back. Uh, there's no footprint too small t that you cannot. There's no foot too small that you cannot leave an imprint on this world, and that's very very true. You know, he directly saved lives by donating his organs, um, and indirectly by by what we've created and the pledges that people have taken never to drink and drive again and and so on. And uh, first and foremost, I would recommend people to become organ donors. 54% of the US population only are organ donors, yet 94% say that they'll be willing to donate their organs. If if you're willing, if, if you needed an organ, and you, or if your loved one needed an organ, and you'd be willing to take it, in my opinion, you should be an organ donor. Um, every day, 22 lives are lost in this country because of uh, the need of organs, people waiting for organs. You couldn't fill Madison Square Garden with the amount of people waiting for organs. But yeah, it's only s so many organs that you can get because a person has to pass away a certain way, such as the way my son did uh, through brain death, right? So that you can save the organs. Um, so that's something I would recommend. But as far as the drunk driving, to be part of saving lives, you know, for the next 30 days until the 25th of March, we have to convince the Public Safety Committee that this is the right thing to do. So as constituents, again, this is a democratic country. Politicians answer to us, not the other way around. Um, so to reach out to your local uh, district representatives, so your assembly members, uh, we have, and I can give you the list of the people, there's eight people, call them and say, I want you to uh, vote yes on, it's called AB1713. That's the bill uh, number, but it's also known as Liam's Law. So to get it through committee. If it gets through the committee, then it's going to go to the House of Assembly. But for the next nine months, people, especially Californians, can actually be part of making a difference, knowing that it will save life. We know it's going to save life. So this is history in the making. It really, really is. And to be able to say that uh, you're part of a fight, you know, it's, in my opinion, you talked about that fighting your why. Here's a why. Like I said, it's too late for us. We already lost our son. This is so the future children, future families don't have to go through what we went through. And that's uh, the best thing they can do. Another thing that people can do, actually, uh, is sign up on Amazon Smile. Uh, Amazon Smile, you go to, uh, I think it's smile.amazon or amazon.smile. If you Google it, it'll come up. It's the same thing. Anytime you shop on Amazon, Amazon donates 0.05% of the total value to the nonprofit. So Liam's Life is a nonprofit that Amazon has recognized. Um, so it doesn't cost people anything, and it's a way for us to fund the nonprofit because it's costly, you know, um, to to work and do the work that we that we do, uh, and we do it 100% uh, on a volunteer basis. We don't take a penny out of the the nonprofit. So those are two ways. Uh, the book that I wrote, Life is a Moment. 20% uh, of all proceeds from the book goes to the nonprofit as well. And uh, follow us on social media. We always have calls to action on, on, the on, on the social media and facts just to educate people. It's uh, remembering Liam's life on Instagram and, and the nonprofit website is liamslife.org. And where can they find that book? The book's on Amazon. Uh, it actually became an Amazon bestseller. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because 
someone asked me, you know, what what are your expectations on this book? A journalist asked me when I when I wrote it. I said, to be honest, I don't really have ex- any expectations because I'm not an, a, a writer per se. You know, this isn't how I make my main. That's not my main source of income. In fact, it's not a source of income at all. And I said, if you can help one person in their grief work or in their life, then in my opinion, it's done its work. And um, it has. A lot of people that read the book have reached out to me and said that it helped them. And uh, I remember especially one man uh, who wrote to me and said, it's been, I can't remember if it was four or five years, and I haven't been able to process this. And thank you, thanks to your book, for the, for the first time, I broke down that wall, I broke down that barrier, and, and I'm able to, to actually... Because you have to actively work on on getting through it. The way I look at it is, you know, you, you have to go through like a dark cloud and come out on the other side. And a lot of times people ask me, you know, how I can, because I talk about this all the time, obviously, when I'm out doing motivational speaking is events and the book and the documentary and sitting here with you, I talk about it all the time. But that's part of my healing process as well. Because again, you know, physical pain, you can you can take some of the pain away through, you know, pain medicine or whatever, and it gets better. But but emotional pain, you have to go through it. There's no other, you can't go around it. You can't try to, you can block it out for a while, but it will just come back 10 times worse to you. You have to come out on the other side. And uh, it's rough, it hurts. Sometimes it feels like you just wanna lie down and and pull a blanket over your head and never see anyone again, but you have to come out on the other side. So, um, that the book book helped again me writing it, but it's helped people, which to me is is great. But it did become a, an Amazon bestseller in, in three different categories. So, That's amazing. And I, I just I started writing my second book, and uh, I'm we have a group that works with us, a PR group, and uh, I said, you know, I'm not really a writer, and he's like, well. You're an author, so by default, yes, you are. <laughs> and I, I've learned that, you know, I really enjoy writing, and I, I, I guess I'm okay at it, and uh, um, I want to continue writing. I want to continue helping people with, with grief, so I, I now have a few whys. <laughs> That's amazing. And um, if people want to contact you, is there, is there a way they can reach out to you directly? Yes. Uh, on on social media, on Instagram, it's at Mac Koval, M-A-C-K-O-W-A-L, at Mac Koval. Um, or my email address, which is Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at systemstrainingcenter.com. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I do get a lot of emails, especially right now. And I... <laughs> I say with social media as well, I try, and I know you have the same thing, I try to, there's so many great people, like one thing that they showed me, yes, one woman who wasn't a great human being, but the amount of love, you know, it really gave me hope in humanity again, like to see the love, and you know, most people are are good human beings, and that's the one thing that this has showed me, the love that people showed, and, and, and people supporting and rallying for this, to make a difference, you know, if people say you need a village behind you, you know, I feel like we have a small country behind us. So, uh, but I, if I don't respond to an email, it's not or on social media. It's either because I missed it, right again. It's not, you know, I feel bad. I want to respond to everyone, but it's impossible, unfortunately. Um. And as as a final remark, yeah. What can you say to our listeners and people tuning in as far as people that have had horrific and traumatic things happen to them. What's something that you could say to them as, as a final 
as a final remark to help them know that things can get better and will? Uh, that's a really good question because it does feel like like nothing will. Um, and, you know, I read somewhere and it's so true because in my book as well, I talk a little bit about, you know, I, I, I it's some dark humor in there and I wrote one part of on what not to say to a grieving father because a lot of times people say clumsy things and again it's important for for me or for anyone else to remember that it comes from a good place most of the time you know when people say things they try to say it in order to help you you know you get people saying things like oh you know i know how you feel because i lost my uncle no you don't know how i feel you don't know what i'm going through but i know i can't say that because i know that it comes comes from a good place they're trying to relate to me right or people saying that you know, things happen for a reason, or he's in a better place now, things like that. Is, that's not what you want to hear as a parent, you know. Uh, and someone said, what can you do? What can I do? What can I say to you? And what I read was, uh, can you give him my child back? And if you can't, just walk with me and let me face my demons until I can see in color again. And it's, it's so very, very true. As a friend, you can't do anything. There's nothing that you can say that will take that pain away. So just be there with a the person. That's all you can do. But for me, what helped me, I met some, some parents, especially some fathers, that have handled it really, really well and, 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 and said, which is true, time will heal. But most important thing, in my opinion, is to find a outlet an outlet you know for for me again it was martial arts it was writing it was the social network around us the people that were there for us and still there's days that are very very difficult for me you know his birthday the day he passed uh the documentary i'll i'll actually send you the first episode you can take a look afterwards uh when i watch it you know i just they sent a piece to me the other day that i wasn't supposed to see which was, it's funny, you know, you just mentioned that when you came to the hospital, when you were there, they sent the part of when it happened. And it's all the guys from the gym, you know, Christos, Tarion Ware, uh, Dima, Gerasimov, Vince, uh, uh, who tell their version of how they found out and where they were at the time and um, how, how they came to the hospital and it's the first time I heard it, you know. It's not. I know Dima because he, you know, lives next door to me, and he went over to the apartment and found the dog's room because I just ran out in the middle of the road. And and Fernando, who trains at the gym, he actually saw me. It's crazy. I actually mentioned it in the book as well. He ran up because he saw me running down the street in the middle of the road, thinking I was about to get into a fight. So he pulled over. And you know, that's when they put me into a police car and uh, take me to follow the ambulance and when I was watching that and all those emotions coming back, you know, I, I, c I couldn't function for the rest of the day. But it's, uh, it's also important to remember that it's okay not to be okay, you know. I've, I've always known that I was mentally strong. Uh, it's, it's something that I've known when I was fighting and, and, and it was one of my strengths. But I would be very, very happy to not have to, to go back and not to have to do have the world know that I, I'm mentally strong, you know? That was something I'd be very happy to just know myself, not having to show or display to other people. Uh, but it's important to remember that mental strength isn't just partially nature and nurture as well, right? But, but mental strength can be 
be trained just like you can train your bicep you can get stronger you do a bunch of bicep curls and you do a lot of reps you will get stronger the difference is your bicep will grow and it's something tangible that you can see mental strength you can't see it's not tangible but you can become mentally strong and mentally stronger you can have a fighter's mentality a fighter's mindset without being a fighter and that's actually i i I don't even know if you know that, but I, I did a course to become a life coach. I hate the term life coach just because who's an expert at life, but I've worked with a lot of clients to start doing that and specifically with people that struggle to find their motivation, to find their inner drive and, and, and so on. And um, it's trainable, you know. I, I, I was already interested in it, but I've become obsessed with it. How is it that some people can see through adversity, adversity and others just crumble? You know, how do you change that? Uh, and and it is trainable and the most important thing I would tell anyone is is again find an outlet and just remember that you can only take one step at a time day by day it will get better I promise you wow man um, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story with thank you um, with everybody <laughs> listening you know um, this is obviously the probably the most in-depth we've also ever talked yeah. about it, you know, yeah. and uh, <coughs> so again, as a, as a friend, um, you know, I'm always um, anything that I can always do, you know, anything. Thank you. Um, and also as as an advocate of helping other people, um, I think it's important for people like yourself to, to share these stories because without us putting it out there for other people the people that are suffering feel like they're alone yeah and the more we can let ourselves tell our side of things to its truest form because that's what it is is we have to be willing to open up and be able to really expose the things that are truly going on inside of our mind inside of our heart and that's the way we heal from things yeah. And um, you've you've done that for yourself. You've done that for your family, and you're doing that for so many people. And I I'm I'm sure I can speak on behalf of TJ and everybody else listening that your story is going to continue helping potentially millions of people. And so I thank you not only as a friend but as a a person who is rooting for the change and rooting for the ability to help as many people even if it's one yeah that we yeah. can and it's it's you know just like you said a lot of times people feel you know people get stuck in their own mind you know we hear about mental health and, and suicide and and I've, I've heard people say oh it's such a selfish thing to do it's not self if, if you're a normal if you're okay ment mental health wise then then yes but can you imagine someone like when you hear a parent that commits suicide a parent that loved their children can you imagine what you're going through the demons that are inside of your head if you feel like the only way out of that is to take your own life you know that's why you're 100% right and I, I thank you for having me on because that has also become my my mission to be able to help people because I spoke to someone, his dad, his, he lost his brother. So his dad was the father who lost a child. And from the day he lost his child, 
never once again mention that child's name. And this was back in the 70s. Because back then, now, we, we have social media and we have ways to reach people, right? And that's my, my goal. But they didn't know better. And, and that was the thing, right? You know, you, you bottle up, you, you be a man, and, and you, you go about your life. How do you think he felt on the inside in I- when he was uh, left alone with his own thoughts and, and mind? And, you know, imagine how many people that, A, don't know how to handle it. You know, it was, okay, we, we, we lost that child. There was a lot of media. There was a son's funeral. And then now what? Well, a lot of times people feel like they get left alone or people abandon them. But people have you have to also accept that that people have to go on with their lives just because your world ended or your world stopped. Other people's lives have to go on, and it's going to take you time to get back there. But you have to get there too. But you can't be upset with people uh, for living their lives just because you face something. And that's a lot of times important to understand both both as a person that's experiencing the grief, but also as a friend. I got a lot of messages, people saying, hey, if I can do anything for you, if you need me to do something for you, just just hit me up. And that's with good intentions, right? But you are, you are a walking zombie. The b- one of the best things that people did for us, they started a meal train. So people would come and drop food off at the house. And they not only would drop it off, they would force us to sit down and eat. Because I would go, I would go a couple of days without eating, like I have half a toast or something, because you nothing matters. So to say, oh, call me if you need something. I, I'm not going to pick up the phone. I don't. I can hardly put one foot in front of the other. Uh, so if you want to be there, be there and take. Go to the house. Pick them up. Take them to a park. Take them for a walk. Just do something where you are stuck in your own head with your own uh, thoughts. So the best thing you can do is just get them out, even if it's for 30 minutes. You know, that's how you do it. And and again, for the person that is experiencing the grief. That one outlet, and, and a lot of times that guilt, that guilt that you feel, the first time you smile. How can I smile? I lost my child. First time you laugh. First time you spend five minutes not thinking about them. How can I not think about my son? Uh, but the way I look at it is, if it was the other way around, if I would have left this earth and he would have still been here, I would have wanted him to remember me, but I wouldn't want him to lead a negative life and not enjoy his life. In my opinion, my my way of honoring my son is living my life to the fullest. That's the best way I can do to honor it. So, like I said, all very common that people, two lives are lost or three lives are lost. If the parents don't find a way back to happiness, that, that don't ever be ashamed of, 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 of enjoying your life to the fullest because that's the best way of honoring someone. Amazing. TJ? Yeah, thank you, Marcus, for sharing your story. Um, I talked to Chad about stuff like this all the time and I think that in the fight against drinking and driving there needs to be a conscious shift you know a different belief system about it and there's laws in place but people are absent-minded to them but it's you and your story that people connect to and that's the catalyst for change that's what's going to make a difference so thank you for coming here and sharing your story it's emotional but important and it needs to be heard thank you very much Nico is saying by here as well. <laughs> How about you don't throw my cell phone into the trash can this time? <laughs> Everything will be better. Thank you both for having me on. I, I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to make this bill pass. Even it's if amazing. it's not this time around, like, you know, we're anyone's worst enemy because we will stand up and come back again yeah. and we get knocked down again. And, you know, we've had so many roadblocks and, and no's and closed doors on the way here. I know we're going to win. 
and and that's you know same mindset as, as as a fight you know you go in those fights you've had and you're like i know i'm gonna win this fight and nothing is gonna stop me it doesn't matter what they throw at me i'm gonna come back and that's the thing like you know we've been told since day one we're up against giants we're up against you know big liquor and washington and so on that's okay they've never been up against someone like me so uh thank you for being part of that fight and and uh change will come uh, I, I absolutely believe it. So um, thanks again, Marcus. We're going to post all those links and all that stuff for people to be able to uh, get, get uh, outreach. And um, I think that'll, uh, that'll wrap us for today. And remember, every day you have a, you have a chance to make a difference. And in a this fight. and a choice. And a choice. Yeah. Chance and a choice. And we talk about this all the time, and this is where we'll wrap it. You have a decision to live every day as a champion. And it's not just for you. It's for every single person that is out there. Yeah, 100%. Nothing, 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 nothing you could do. Straight up. There's nothing you could do. You know the boy says. There's nothing you could do. I don't know why you want to play with it. There's nothing you could do.